Welcome to this episode of the Think Wildlife Podcast. Today, I speak to April Bagwell from the Trillion Trees Initiative. This is a collaboration between three international wildlife conservation organizations. These are BirdLife International, the World Wildlife Fund, also known as WWF, and the Wildlife Conservation Society, popularly known as WCS. The aim of Trillion Trees is to restore degraded forests and prevent the deforestation of currently intact rainforests around the world. Tune in to this episode to learn about the science of the protection and restoration of rainforests. We also talk about the value of rainforests for well-being, livelihoods and society in general. We also talk about the challenges which hinder the progress of such restoration projects. Welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. So what was the idea behind Trillion Trees? Well, sure. So Trillion Trees is a partnership between three of the world's leading conservation organizations, BirdLife International, the Wildlife Conservation Society, and WWF. And the three of them came together back in 2016, essentially with this shared commitment to end deforestation and restore forests. And the idea of coming together was, even though all three organizations have their own forest programs and they do a lot of work in other landscapes, forests are incredible and really important ecosystems. And the partners felt that by joining their huge resources and expertise and global reach that they can probably do and achieve a bit more than they can together than working separately. Why are forests so critical for for the planet? Well, forests are probably, well, all ecosystems are incredibly important, of course, but forests actually contain over 80, around 80% of all of the world's terrestrial biodiversity. They also sequester huge amounts of carbon, which is important for the climate. But then as humans, we are also really closely connected to forests through biodiversity. And even if we don't think about it, forests are responsible for the air we breathe, the water we drink, and a lot of the foods that we eat. So really, we, you know, even as people, like, really have to depend on forests. So how does restoring forests help improve human health and livelihoods? Sure. Well, just a couple of things that I just mentioned, right? So forests are really important for people, for various things. And again, that means that protecting and restoring our forests is also very important. Um, millions of people around the world rely on forests um, for their livelihoods, so for jobs as well as food and medicines, and again, making sure that we really keep our forests standing. But then also in terms of human health as well, th- that relationship between forests and people people goes a bit deeper. So there is, there's been shown um, to have evidence that forests can reduce risks of diseases such as cardiovascular diseases, uh, respiratory diseases, as well as mental health issues. So there's a lot of work around, you know, just spending time in forest and in many places around the world. Um, you know, there's activities such as forest bathing, where you're just spending time in the forest, enjoying nature, and, you know, being part of, you know, kind of an ecosystem you know, that's bigger than yourself. 
But then also what the world can take from this too is preventing forest loss and degradation is also important to prevent various infectious disease outbreaks such as COVID-19 and that loss of habitat where you can end up having more zoonotic transitions and zoonotic diseases happening. But then in terms of other aspects of human well-being, forests protect against physical hazards like flooding, extreme weather, and then other health issues that can endanger human lives. How exactly do you define a degraded forest? Sure. So degraded forests are still forests in, you know, in their own right, but they don't fully function how they used to, and they're almost like a shell of their former selves. And so degraded forests, a lot of times this is going to be including areas that have been selectively logged or damaged by other human activities. But again, degraded forests will still maintain some of those really important natural features and similarities with um, current or non-degraded forests. And so in terms of the types of species that are still present and ecosystems and degraded forests, a lot of times are going to be next to what we call intact forests. So again, those forests that have had less or no human um, interactions or effects to them. And one thing that I really want to talk about is that, so we actually, um, so as Trillion Trees, we did some new research and that actually showed that these degraded forest areas are actually more likely to recover quicker. If you can restore them, they can regain their biodiversity at levels more similar to um, standing forest. And they can also, they're going to store more carbon than cleared land. Um, you know, so that cleared land that's been completely deforested and where restoration might take longer. And so overall with that, in terms of if you can restore degraded forests, what we found was that there's actually 1.5 billion hectares of forests worldwide that still have about 50 to 80 percent of their potential biomass and therefore that potential for those ecosystem services to be restored. And so then one thing here is it's really important to, of course, end deforestation and to restore those areas that have been deforested, but maybe even just a bit lower hanging fruit is all of these, this 1.5 billion hectares of degraded forests um, that, you know, they can deliver more rapid biodiversity and climate mitigation benefits relative to restoring forest on cleared land because it's going to be easier to return some of that ecosystem than when you're starting from scratch, essentially from deforested areas. At a global scale, what is driving deforestation and uh, forest degradation? Sure. So the main cause of deforestation worldwide is agriculture. But overall, deforestation and degradation of forests is a really complex issue that's not easily solved. But so in terms of the deforestation side, it is the, these massive agricultural expansion of areas. So that's clearing forests for things like cattle ranching or soy and palm oil plantations. Um, but then also other commodities such as chocolate and coffee production have historically and continue to have um, high levels of deforestation if they're of course not grown in a forest friendly way. Um, and so a lot of the products that we consume on a daily basis have some deforestation within their supply chain. In terms of degradation, um, so similarly, so agriculture will be some part of that, but um, more, more of the causes of degradation is probably um, things like 
illegal or unsustainable logging, but then also climate change is starting to have an effect that we're seeing on the degradation of forests. So the higher temperatures mean unpredictable weather patterns that can increase the risk and severity of forest fires or pest infestation and various diseases to certain plants. Um, but so a lot of this, again, both of these are really built on, you know, sort of these you know, big industries around commodities as well. And so as consumers, there's something where we can do, you know, we can, you know, do something about that and being more responsible with our own choices. Um, I guess continuing with that a little bit too. So in some countries, um, smallholder agriculture um, can also be a cause of deforestation and land degradation. Um, that's because one, a lot of times there are fewer opportunities or just, you know, People are, I mean, in general, all over the world, people are less informed about the importance of standing forests and things like that. But then you're also competing with economic needs and the social needs of people. And so many times, too, families can clear areas of forest use for wood, graze animals, or also, again, growing food on the land. But with this, so this is where things like agroforestry um, can come into play um, and there can be more sustainable and forest friendly ways um, for livelihoods to be established. Um, so it doesn't just protect the forest, but it also can protect the other ecosystem services that forests provide. So you mentioned about cattle ranching uh, as a driver of deforestation. So how prevalent is the issue in South America, and what is trillion trees doing to tackle the issue of cattle ranching in the Amazon rainforest? Sure. So, so essentially, so cattle ranching, both legal and illegal ranching, is definitely an issue um, that needs to be addressed both um, a lot in South and as well as Central America. Um, so you asked for kind of examples. So one example is in um, a landscape in Peru where our partner WWF is working. It's called Madre de Dios. Um, so that is in the Amazon. And so there has been extensive cattle farming and one of those main causes of deforestation, as you said, in that area. And so kind of feeding on from what I was saying earlier. So in this area, you know, so cattle farmers, you know, often have poor access to technology and finance. And then that sometimes means that their yields are typically low and often can decline as soil fertility declines as well. And so they'll, you know, continue to move to different areas and deforest other areas for more pasture, you know, to, you know, have kind of fresher areas. Um, but I think what's important and some of the things that we're doing and so through the work that our partner WWF is doing in there is, um, working with farmers on more environmentally friendly ways, um, so nature-based ways of farming, like silvopasture, so where that can help increase animal production, it also stores more carbon and aids um, in the conservation of soil, water, and biodiversity, while all improving the livelihoods and reducing that need to keep moving around and deforesting um, for cattle production. And that's because, again, so silvopasture is when you are, you know, kind of both grazing in areas with trees as well in a sustainable way. Um, and so what we've done there is, you know, they've um, set up kind of farm field schools to train local farmers in this, um, you know, and so also like getting involved, uh, involving um, women and young people as well to bring in the full communities and farmers and where also the farmers can share their own experiences. Um, that's always really important too, to determine what does work and what doesn't work and always constantly adapting, 
you know, what's working in that local context. Um, another example, um, so specifically around this, so not in South America, but in Guatemala. So in the past, there's been a lot of um, illegal cattle ranching by drug, tra drug traffickers, um, and they use this to launder money. And um, I think it was back in the 90s or so, maybe maybe a bit later than that, um, basically a lot of land was seized from local communities. Um, and um, it was like huge and rapid deforestation for these cattle ranching. And actually, so the Mayo Biosphere Reserve in Guatemala is part of this huge forest that spans Guatemala, Mexico, and Belize. And about 60 to 80% of the deforestation there was due to illegal ranching. And so to when it kind of came to a tipping point, the government, um, evicted many of the ranchers and put in place protections for the lands. And so um, one of the other partner, Trillion Trees Partners, WCS, has been working in that landscape for about 30 years now and are doing a lot of work with the communities and farmers, again, to try and restore these degraded areas. And so that's, you know, kind of working to figure out how to defund cattle ranching in these areas, uh, strengthening the rights of indigenous communities um, and working with the governments there and law enforcement to remove um, cattle from those areas. And then also, again, a lot of this comes back to, um, in terms of communities, is finding and promoting alternative and more sustainable livelihoods um, through other commodity production and not cattle ranching. Sorry, that was a very long answer, I think, to your... <laughs> to no, your... It is nice hearing about the project Australian Trees is working on. So why exactly is protecting forests a more effective solution than restoration? Yeah, so I guess what we always kind of say and what a lot of good, you know, conservation organizations doing restoration say, it's, you know, it's the right trees in the right places and done in the right way. Well, first of all, our standing forests are already the right trees in the right places. And also if we if we globally lose our, our standing forests, no amount of restoration is going to make a difference. So you can never truly replace an ecosystem that is lost. And so in terms of forests, it can take, you know, close to 100 years for a secondary forest to come close to meeting what a current standing natural forest would be. But in terms of that, and so that's one of those reasons, and as I said, why forests are important in general, is they harbor huge amounts of biodiversity. Um, standing forests can provide higher levels of benefits such as carbon absorption and storage, the healthy watersheds that we all rely on, traditional forest uses. Um, and it's not just about the trees either, right? They're complex ecosystems that take many, many years to establish, as I was just saying. And so we do have to protect them but we've come to this point as well and you know we're start, you know people are in, we're starting to recognize that we 100% have to save what's left but we're now almost past the point where we also have to restore it and it's something that I don't I don't say often but I hear from other people too it's sort of you know the best time to plant a tree was you know 20 30 years ago because it takes a long time to restore that and so again, it's, you know, it all kind of comes back to these benefits for people, nature and the climate and our standing forests are currently our best, our best nature based, you know, kind of solution on the terrestrial side for the climate. 
So can you talk a bit about how trillion trees are protecting forests around the world and what have been some challenges in protecting these, these landscapes? Sure. So when trillion trees started, so I guess I will kind of come back to this um, from your question earlier too, is when the trillion trees partners came together, it was around three imperatives. And so that was protecting standing forests, ending the causes of deforestation, and you know, restoring in the right way um, and advancing the restoration efforts globally as well. And so the way that the Trillion Trees partners are working to protect forests and kind of tackle you know, the drivers of deforestation is, you know, it kind of varies from everything from direct implementation to actively advocating for policy changes that value and prioritize forests. Um, as well as collaborating with local communities, local governments, national governments, and other organizations to try and expand protected areas, as I said, like kind of the policy changes, and then also creating other type of mechanisms that will help incentivize, um, you know, people to protect forests and instead of, you know, deforesting them. So that can include things like you know, promoting ecotourism, uh, training forest eco-guards, supporting community management of lands, all these things that are going to really help promote and incentivize why for, you know, why forests are important. So again, also actually like community education and just general education opportunities for why forests are important um, are also activities that the partners are doing. Um, one example of this is in uh, what we call the five great forests of Mesoamerica. And so these are biodiversity hotspots that are spread kind of over eight countries in uh, the Central American region. And in that area, these forests are really important because they hold about half of the region's forest carbon stocks. And again, I keep saying these, they provide these other benefits like water and food and resources. Um, there, I think it's about 5 million people. And so the, the partners here, you know, again, this is kind of going back in this area, you know, kind of working towards, you know, getting at those root causes for deforestation, like the illegal cattle ranching um, and other activities like that. And so really trying to work with the local stakeholders to prioritize forests, whether that's through education, policy, and direct implementation. So coming back to restoration, so can you elaborate a bit on the principles of forest and landscape restoration? Yeah, definitely. So forest landscape restoration is basically when it's, well, I guess, first of all, forests don't operate in isolation, right? So forest landscape restoration is a really important concept and the way that essentially all restoration, well, restoration of forests or ecosystem restoration can also follow similar principles. So it's really looking at the fact that forests don't operate in isolation. They are connected to other ecosystems and they are kind of a landscape as a mosaic of different ecosystems, different species, plus all of those human activities in and near those areas. And so when you're trying to restore a forest, you have to make sure you take all of this into account. And so one of the key principles behind forest landscape restoration is that it brings people together to identify and implement the most appropriate restoration interventions in that landscape that can accommodate the needs of all land users and multiple land uses. So again, it's 
how you can harmonize the people and the nature side together. And so it is this um, kind of ongoing process of regaining ecological function while also enhancing human well-being. <clears throat> so this means within the entire landscape, you might have, you know, this mosaic of natural forest, you might have some agroforestry areas, you might also have some areas where local communities have um, created their own wood plots. So it might be either a native or potentially a non-native species that is there, but it's in land set aside that's not forested land that they can still use for their livelihoods, whether that's economic or for fuel, fuel wood, something like that. So again, it's this whole mix of areas that you're trying to manage together and take into account together that where you can get people and nature thriving together. You have mentioned agroforestry quite a few times in this interview mm -hmm. so far. So could you just ex elaborate a bit what agroforestry is and talk about the rainforestation farming method trillion trees is employing in Mount Hilong, Hilong in Philippines? Sure. So, so agroforestry is essentially when you are having kind of you know commodity commodity crops or farming alongside trees so one kind of simplified way people put it is trees on farms and it is a bit more than that but that is kind of a simple way to think about it too and so again in terms of agroforestry it does have to be in the right places and so making sure that it also makes sense in that landscape as well so is this going to be a good methodology for that community or those local stakeholders to implement and um so really and so what you mentioned the rainforestation farming method um that so the bird life partner in the philippines i think this is the example you gave so it's the Haribon foundation um, so they are using what's called rainforestation, and that refers to planting native species instead of non-native cash crop monocultures to help rehabilitate and restore kind of a forest area that's biodiverse, again, supporting wildlife and people. But the key thing here and with the rainforestation is using native species on farms and that mix of kind of cash commodities and native trees. Um, because then that brings in greater biodiversity as well as the economic benefits um, to the communities as well. You also mentioned that invasive species are a big issue in degraded landscapes. Could you elaborate about how invasive species can be removed from a degraded forest? Because at least in India, we have one invasive plant called Latana, which is causing a lot of chaos in our rainforest and it's quite hard to remove them. Yes, that it is difficult. <laughs> that is a species that's difficult to remove. And I and so I'm definitely not an expert on this, but one of the things that especially when you get to that level that while it's time intensive and labor intensive and very costly, it is the attempt to remove it um that is what's going to help. Um but again, it's, you know, sort of that takes time, it takes money and effort to do it. And plus, you know, species like that are super fast growing. And so with invasive, and that is that is one of the issues around invasive species. And when you do start planting non-native species in areas that they can just completely take over, outcompete the native species. And it's a huge issue. So um, an example, I guess, of where 
we've been working on that was so there's a project so it was led by our partner WCS in Rwanda in kind of around the there's a national park Nyungwe National Park there and what they eventually found was the best method after kind of testing a few and pilot testing different restoration methods was they had to go in and physically remove all of these invasive ferns that had come in so the area had um, suffered kind of forest fires that had removed the trees and this invasive fern grew and it was suppressing all of the native seed bank. Um, luckily for this area, what through some of their testing, they did find that the native seed banks of so the the seeds from the tree species previously before the fire were still in the soil, they were still viable to grow. And so they physically went through and they're still working on it, but um, removing these, these ferns from huge areas. And even within like two, three months, they were already starting to see the trees grow back. Um, so that was a really good success story for that. But in terms of invasive species, there's there's, it's really difficult to get rid of them, whether they're plants or wildlife, and they certainly can wreak havoc on native and natural systems. So I don't have a good answer for that other than it's definitely a huge bane and sometimes it is just the physical removal to do it, deal with it. But then again, avoiding introducing these species in the first place is always the best bet. So what are some other challenges faced in restoring uh, landscapes and forests? Sure. So probably ones that might not sound surprising, or maybe they are, um, but I would say probably the biggest challenge to forest landscape restoration is time. And it's not just the time that it takes to regrow a forest, but also the amount of time it takes to build relationships across all stakeholders, identifying the needs and coming to, you know, a plan of action that is suitable for everyone. And so all of that and all of the activities around that increase in environmental education and awareness with communities and youth addressing those underlying causes of degradation and deforestation, it all takes time. Plus the fact that, of course, restoration itself, once you are starting to do that, whether that's planting and growing trees or natural regeneration, it's going to take a long time to reach maturity. And so along with the time too, is the costs associated with that. Um, it might, you know, for example, you know, for high quality forest landscape restoration, it's going to cost more because you're taking into account all of these variables and these this mosaic of landscapes of ecosystems and people. And while you might be able to, you know, kind of stick a sapling in the ground for a dollar, it's going to take more money to make sure that that sapling grows and survives to maturity alongside all those other factors. And so one thing that a lot of programs kind of miss for restoration is including those maintenance and monitoring costs for the long-term. And so therefore you can have programs that, you know, aren't as successful or might have high, um, or might have low survival rates because there isn't kind of a plan in place to make sure that you can maintain that site for the long-term. But then again, restoration is, is complex. You know, so there's all these ecological and social needs, and it's really positive then when it's successful and when you have, you know, when you have all of this in place and you have these projects that can be successful, and they can be. It's something that, you know, people are starting to do more and more of, and certainly 
understanding the people side of it, not just the ecological side of it is really important. And I think that's definitely a step forward in the conservation sector of making sure that we, you know, all conservation actions are going to have greater success when you are including the local stakeholders who are there living in the area or in charge of, you know, maintaining that area. Can you talk about some of the projects related trees is working with local communities and improving their livelihoods through restoration? Sure. So I guess I think I mentioned kind of a couple of those. And one one thing <laughs> that I guess in a more succinct way than what I've said is that in terms of conservation and whether that's protect or restoration, if you don't get the people part right, none of it's going to be successful. And so what Trillion Trees is doing and what the Trillion Trees partners do is making sure that involving local communities and local stakeholders, again, whether that's communities, local governments, other organizations in the landscape, um, but making sure that communities are involved every step of the way is necessary. And it's, of course, just the right thing to do. Many times it's their own land and it's their own livelihoods and resources that you know they should be a part of and so one of our priority approaches is engaging with the local community groups from the earliest stage um, we don't do anything without consent or participation and many of our projects are led by communities as well just with our support um, so we do work towards active participation and that leadership um, we do a lot of work in um, trying to help formalize rights for indigenous peoples to their own land um, man and managing forests sustainably to benefit them as well as then you get all of the uh, wildlife and climate benefits that come from that as well. Um, and so we have, well, essentially in all of our restoration projects, that's going to be a key component of it. So it will be with and alongside local communities and then also all of our restoration projects are already going to be in areas where um, the three partners have long-term presence and relationships so they might be have i mentioned in the Maya biosphere so wcs has been working in that area for over 30 years and so they've built really strong relationships with communities with governments and therefore can have a bit more success because everyone's, you know, trying to work together for the same goal. And that happens in essentially all of our projects. So could you just list the three of Brain Tree's most successful restoration projects? So that, that question is really difficult because I would say that, you know, all of our projects are successful. Um, you know, for us, it's making sure that we're restoring forest in the areas where it's needed most and where we can support our programs to scale up their efforts as well. So kind of moving from kind of smaller scale restoration to restoration on a larger scale and at the landscape level, because again, that's kind of what's needed globally and even in local areas as well. Um, I'm trying to, trying to think of some that are good examples. Um, hmm. Well, like I said, all, all of them are great and successful. One, I guess one nice one is in, um, it's a WCS project in the Southern Highlands in Tanzania. And I think it's more just kind of hearing from, you know, some of the community members around it where, you know, after restoring the area and, you know, working with them around, you know, various aspects, they've created community nurseries and, and 
you know, can sell on the seedlings as well as using them for cells, but they like relatively quickly started seeing more, you know, more cleaner water, better access to water. And that was just through kind of natural regeneration and assisted natural regeneration where you, you know, might be doing activities such as planting that then also helps that, you know, the forest regenerate naturally. So that's certainly one. And then another really good project that is, um, run by the BirdLife Partner in Paraguay in the Atlantic Forest. And so this is actually, it's another agroforestry example, as well as the restoration side. And what they've been doing is working with one of the local, uh, with one of the local communities there to um, create, essentially now they have a certified organic and fair trade yerba mate production. And so yerba mate is also essentially the national drink of Paraguay. And so it's a really successful crop that they found that it does well, super well in shade. It's native to the Atlantic forest itself. And that project is combining both science and centuries old knowledge that's been passed down through these communities to have this sustainable economic um, product, as well as restoring the natural forest and protecting the natural forest alongside that. So can you talk about the Reforest Fund? Yeah, of course. Um, so the Reforest Fund is our grants mechanism to support some of these smaller scale restoration projects to be more ambitious and work towards scaling their efforts. And so far, we've raised over a million pounds to support 10 landscapes. And we have a pipeline of about 40 projects that are ready to go. And so these are restoration projects that you know, that that criteria I was talking about, they're implemented by local teams and communities, they're restoring natural forests, and then also supporting some of these other activities and initiatives to address those underlying reasons for why restoration is needed in the first place, and to ensure that, that the, you know, communities are also benefiting from this as well. And so the Reforest Fund does focus on high quality restoration. Um, all our projects have high survival rates, usually between 80 and 90 percent. And again, what I mentioned before is this is because we make sure that the funds that we're providing to some of these projects include enough for long term maintenance and monitoring, which is really important to make sure, again, those trees survive for decades to come and not just for one or two years and then they disappear. How can individuals invest in forest restoration? Sure. Well, one, I mean, one easy way that people could do that is by supporting trillion trees and our efforts through our reforest fund, um, or just supporting all of our critical work in protecting and restoring forests. Um, but of course, there's other ways. There's local organizations that people can support. Um, one thing that we always like to say is, you know, if you want to support a forest restoration project, make sure that they're doing it in the right way, that it's native species, it's trying to restore natural forest, but then also that, you know, there's community involvement and, you know, taking into account the biodiversity as well as, you know, the human and social side of things. Um, but then also there's a lot of areas that have volunteer efforts with those local organizations if you if people want to specifically go out and grow their own trees but then also growing trees in urban environments um, is really important for 
human health. And there's recently been a lot of work in the news and research showing that, you know, urban forests are incredibly important for people's mental health and just providing green space. Um, but then I think I mentioned too, also as consumers, we can be mindful of what we are buying. So reducing our paper use, buying things like forest-friendly chocolate or other products, and just trying to pay more attention, if possible, um, to those products that might be, you know, Rainforest Alliance certified or, you know, where you know they've been trying to reduce reduce deforestation in their in their products. That was a final question I had for you today. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. It was quite interesting to talk about the science of forest restoration. And I hope Trillian, you can continue the great work. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Think Wildlife Podcast. And I hope that you can also contribute to forest restoration. This can be at a small scale in your balconies or home gardens or volunteering in tree plantation drives in local communities or your schools. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share.